And welcome live to the studio here with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd on Triple H 100.1 FM. Thank you for joining me this morning. This wonderful, sunny, cloudy, not quite sure what the weather's doing kind of day here in Hornsby. And I'm very excited to be welcoming uh, today. I've got a pre-record with our local federal MP, Julian Lisa MP for Barara. Had a very interesting discussion with him yesterday evening, putting to him Lots of questions that are pertinent to small business at the federal level. Now, before I play you this interview, I just wanted to clarify something in that I guess when you talk to politicians, you have to keep it at whatever level they're working in. So uh, Julian is very much in the federal level and a couple of questions that we asked were a little bit about the local level and the state level, which isn't really his remit. And that's what makes it tricky when you're trying to deal with federal, state and local government is that they're not necessarily responsible for everything, but the reality of it, everything affects small business. So we ourselves are working within three tiers of government on a daily basis, whether it be through compliance or through the area in which we work, parking issues around our business, which is of course a local issue. And we're trying to consolidate all of those issues together as a small business. And yet um, our politicians can only help us at that particular level. Anyway, let me play the uh, the interview for you. You'll find it very interesting. We, we covered quite a lot of topics um, and I'm very pleased to say <clears throat> that Julian was incredibly approachable and very amiable to having this meeting with Small Biz Matters. So let's get that underway. And welcome to Small Biz Matters, the half hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd and I'm very excited to be welcoming Julian Lisa MP for Barara. You're the uh, local member for Barara, aren't you? That's correct. It's wonderful to be here with you, Alexi. I always enjoy coming in and talking uh, small business with your program and with, with your listeners too. And I must say as well, talking about small business, you are incredibly approachable. I've heard very positive things from local constituents in relation to internet problems. I know you've helped. Yes. I've, oh my- I've heard you got on the phone with Telstra for quite a while. Oh, yes. Well, look, uh, in Mount Kola and Mount Karinga, I know over the last uh, weekend people have had a terrible time. Um, in fact, we've had issues with Telstra right across the, the constituency um, from the rural lands to some of the more suburban areas, and uh, I've been at them. You have. Constantly. You've been on the phone. I've heard very good things. So thank you very much for speaking up for people in that way and just really keeping it um, keeping it true and local, which is great. We're going to talk about a couple of local issues today. We're also going to be talking about... Um, some federal issues, of course, because you are a federal member. Let's uh, let's start with recent politics, the reshuffle in federal parliament. We were pleased. I think a lot of people in the small business community were pleased to see someone uh, being representing small business. We have a new minister and she's back on cabinet, which is good. Tell me a little bit about what that's going to mean now. How is it going to change for small business? Does it mean we have a voice? Uh, does it mean that she's going to be um, able to listen to our concerns and advocates for small business? What does this role entail? Well, I think one of the important things to note first is that Craig Laundie, her predecessor as small business minister, was a very good small business minister. Uh, you know, he'd come from a family background of having run, you know, businesses in the um, tourism and hotel sector, knew a lot about the, the area, has a lot of authenticity. So just because he was not in the cabinet didn't mean that small business didn't have a voice. And indeed, it's hard to think of a, a single parliamentarian who was closer to Malcolm Turnbull than, uh, than Craig Laundie himself. So um, small businesses have had a voice and they're going to continue to have a voice. Why I think it's important that uh, Scott Morrison has put Michaelia Cash in charge of this and put her in Cabinet is that you want the voice for small business at the decision-making table when the key decisions are being made about tax and regulation because these are the things that affect the operation of small business more than any other. 
A discussion about the idea of having small business in the cabinet first started around the time of the GST because the impact of collecting the GST, people are really used to it now, but the impact when it first came in was huge and there was in 2001 a bit of a revolt against uh, what the government had done and you might remember the Howard government at the time as a result of lobbying from small businesses made changes to the way in which the GST could be um, collected either on an accrual or a cash basis at that time. And part of that was... Part of that package of reforms also brought the Small Business Minister into Cabinet so they could be there to argue the small business perspective. So you'll get a Cabinet submission on something or other and people won't think, well, how's this touching on small business? But what will happen is it will go from the department where it's come from, usually Treasury, and it'll come to the Small Business Department. People will look at it and go, well, hang on, what's the impact on this? And so you'll have a person sitting in the Cabinet going, hang on, before you design this new way of collecting tax... Well, before you design this new piece of regulation, think about what this is going to impact on small business on the ground. So her role is going to be almost, as you described, speaking for and advocating for small business. Correct. Absolutely. That's the nature of having the small business minister. So who's she speaking to when she's speaking to small business? Because we we can all admit ourselves that we're very... um, it's sort of we're very broken up into smaller pieces you could talk to a chamber but then in some areas the chamber is stronger than others you've got of course the um the the council for small business there's a lot of groups to speak to how is she going to streamline that and really get the voice for everybody well look she goes out and consults with a whole range of small businesses um both individually and also some of those small business peak bodies bodies like cosboa and aki um, she has a department to advise her on these matters that has small business advisory panels and consultative bodies. And from time to time, she'll test things. But you, you hope that there's the expertise in the department to think about, well, how, how does this impact? Or at least that they've got some people that they can go out and sound out the effect of some proposals on. Um, I always find that uh, tax agents are good people to, to talk to. I'm the son of, a, of an accountant um, my late father always used to say accountants know how people's businesses are running. They, they, they know what it's like on the, on the shop floor because they get to see people's books every year. And they are at the pointy end of the regulation because often, you know, you've got a problem, you go and see your accountant or you go and see your bookkeeper and they'll help you. The timing is interesting because we've got this massive change coming into play. It's funny that you should mention the GST. We've got a big change coming into play, which is single touch payroll. Now, um, experts will know it's not a massive change, it's just a reporting mechanism. But there is a lot of um, misinformation out there and a little bit of ignorance from small businesses. Is that the timing of bringing someone back in because we have this big piece of legislation? There's a lot of small business legislation going through, isn't there? You, there is. You know, there's assets, there's there's a $20,000 write-off. There's... Absolutely. Well, there's the big tax cut. That's That's been one of the key things. Look, I think it actually reflects... Scott Morrison's priorities as the new Prime Minister to focus back on what is it that, uh, what does he, he like to say, make the boat go faster? What is it that, that keeps the economy going? What is it that uh, um, strengthens the economy? It's small business because we know small businesses are the great employers, that most of the growth comes out of small business, most of the growth comes out of people being entrepreneurial and innovative and the like. And so if you've got a small business minister in there advocating for small business, that that's a, that sends a good signal that the government takes the sector seriously. So we haven't heard much from her yet. Obviously, this is a new role for her. Does that mean we're going to start to see her speaking up for small business more and more? Well, I think she has done a, a few key things. I mean, the, the first thing that's come forward has been, obviously, the, the fast tracking of the small business tax cuts to 25% by 2020, 2021-22 which means that those tax cuts will be delivered five years earlier than they were going to be. Um, The employee share schemes um, simplification that's come forward to allow small and family businesses, particularly in the start-up area, to attract high-quality people. 
and the $2 billion Australian Business Securitisation Fund. Lots of business people tell me how difficult it is to get access to, to finance at the moment. And we know the banks are you know, tightening up the, uh, the lending market. We know that, uh, that they've been doing that for some years. That's partly because of APRA. We suspect with the Royal Commission, they'll continue to tighten up. So um, things that can provide more funds to, to banks through securitisation. There's also the Australian um, Growth Fund, which has been announced, which will help small business access finance um, uh, through, through uh, equity finance, particularly uh, as they seek to grow. So that, they've just been four quite key things that she's been involved, that Minister Cash has been involved with since she's been the Small Business Minister. If people want to find out more about accessing that equity and those funds, they should go to the Small Business uh, Ministry website? Yeah, or? well, uh, the, the Small Business Growth Fund is in the process of being developed at the moment with the regulators because they want to make sure that it's being developed properly. But if they go to the Small Business Department website, they will find out some of the current information about how that fund is intended to work. I did actually stumble upon her website the other day because I was trying to investigate some information about uh, just employment options for older Australians and I noticed that there's something new being rolled out for um, people over the age of 50 for re, real, uh, sort of re-educating and yeah. re-employment, which is which is exciting news too. So, look, I encourage you to She's also, of there. course, the Minister in Charge of Vocational Education as well, and that's the that's the other part of her portfolio. That's a pretty big portfolio. So it's a big portfolio, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that's that's really great to, to hear about that on a federal level. We'll look forward to hearing more about her and then, and then I guess, checking up to make sure that the right industry bodies and the right uh, small business people who represent us are going to be are going to be consulted which is good let's talk local now so um we had a big uh issue a couple of months ago when we first discussed you coming on the show which was strawberries we had a very big um strawberry uh farming uh community down in dural and it was great to see that you were supporting those guys by getting out there and eating strawberries and, and, and really well, making a big, a big in, deal out of it. In fact, Alexia, I wanted to talk about some of the, uh, the strawberry growers in the parliament. I rang up a couple of them when this bill went through and they said, look, please don't mention our businesses by name because they're worried about being targeted. Yeah, but right. Such was the, the panic and fear that the tampering with the food had caused in our community across the country that you had businesses, successful businesses in our area, who were worried about, about being targeted. But I think we've done the right thing there increasing the penalties for people who are who are tampering with them because clearly the penalties weren't enough if people were, were going ahead and tampering with food uh, and, and secondly creating new offences of recklessness because I think some of the things going on there were reckless um, I've seen followed some of the media reports it looks as though somebody's been apprehended in relation mm, to, to did that, see that the other day uh, and that's a very good thing and we'll, we'll let the court processes take their usual um, they go through their usual process but you know one of the great things we have in this country is people being satisfied and comfortable that they can go to the shops, they, they can buy some food, or they can buy fresh fruit and vegetables and know that they're green, that they're clean, that they're safe to eat. And that's something that marks Australia out as, as different to so many other countries and we don't want to lose that. Well, in and fact, it's, it's, it's causing so us a few problems with our... Our entrepreneurial exporters, let's say, with... Uh, with um, Access with, to some markets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a big problem. So let's talk about um, trying to keep it local a little bit better because I know that this is, um, we could, you could argue that this is a council issue, but I think that all members of representatives at all levels of government should be thinking about how we can encourage people to buy locally. It does, it makes sense for transport, it makes Absolutely. sense for a lot of different things. And consumers things. are looking out for this now too. I mean, the people want to know how far their food has travelled. Um, I remember when I was at Harvard, I bought a academic back to Australia for a conference and we went out to dinner at a restaurant in Sydney and he said, 
this is fantastic. You can taste that this lettuce hasn't ta- hasn't travelled for four days to get <laughs> to the plate. That's so much the experience in America of eating there. Here, we are lucky that food can can come fairly close, but. People like getting food from the Hawkesbury region, which is part of my, my area. I think about the Hawkesbury squid that gets served in restaurants in Canberra, the oysters, which I've been a bit of an advocate for down at Brooklyn, um, the prawns that are there. You think about the, the orchards that we have in our area. They're, they're an important part of uh, um, the local area. So talk to me about those oysters, because you have been in the media a little bit about those. Yeah. Um, what is it that we can do to support them? What are you doing to support them? Because it's it's they're having a lot of problems and issues at the they moment. They have. So the oyster industry has been beset by the double whammy of the QX virus, which is a virus that affects Sydney rock oysters, and then they got the POMS virus, which is a virus which affects Pacific oysters. Neither of those viruses are harmful to humans, but they end up producing a substandard oyster, which is small, which is not particularly uh, good eating. Um, what we've been trying to do is to, to see that the, the river is cleaned up, but the thing that we at the federal level can help with most is trying to get them access to spats, so the tiny little um, oysters in their early stages of their growth so they can be finished off in the Hawkesbury and have that great Hawkesbury taste. I brought Minister Littleproud, the Minister for Agriculture, to the, the region to meet with the, with the oyster farmers a few months ago, and we've encouraged them to make a grant application to the um, Research and Development Corporation to try and get some, some money in order to develop more of a POMS-resistant uh, oyster and, and to get greater access to those spats. I want to see the industry up and, and running again. I'm, the Hawkesbury is very important to me. I think it's an iconic river um, and it's, uh, it's important that we maintain um, good quality aquaculture on the Hawkesbury. I have some of the prawn fishermen over at the Wiseman's Ferry side of the electorate talking to me in Lower Portland about um, some of the difficulties that, that they're encountering as a result of the new development and the increased sewage that is just through the, the sheer volume of people going through the river. And I'm going out onto a prawn boat to hopefully in the new year do, do one of those 4am prawn trawls to get a bit of, better, a better sense of what are some of the issues that are affecting our industry there. Because it's important to me that we maintain these industries on the Hawkesbury. They help... Um, they help support the local economy and they help maintain a tradition that's been on that river since European settlement, indeed since before European settlement. Mm -hmm. I think it's great to see that you're actually connecting on really on a one-on-one level with with those guys on that basis. Um, Whether or not anything other than grants, uh, would we see more um, relationship building between state, federal and local government to try and improve local business around here? It seems to be a bit disjointed. We don't have a lot of support locally on the small business level from the council, um, which I find surprising with someone in your position who's very supportive of small business, that doesn't seem to trickle down to our local government. So are you in support of Hornsby Council doing more? And if so... Well, I think we all have to do more because, you know, we've got 15,000 small businesses in the Barara electorate. Um, They're the backbone of the electorate. Um, We want more people to have to travel shorter distances to go to work in this city. This city is becoming harder to get around and so the more people that can work in local small businesses the better so I think all three levels of government have to work work harder to work out a way in which we can encourage more people to start businesses and then to thrive and that's why you know some of the some of the things that we're doing like um, bringing forward the small business tax cuts giving small businesses more of their own money that they can invest either in employment or in expansion of their businesses is so important. With, with relation to some of those statistics you were mentioning before, um, you may not realise that there's about 65% of local businesses here that are non-employing. And what I think is important is that nobody's analyses to why. 
do you think there could be an opportunity to look at some of that data and look at some of those analytics and then question why it is that people are not employing? Is it because they choose not to or is it because it's too hard with compliance? Is that maybe something that could go into the pipeline? I think it's definitely a question worth thinking about. I mean, people, I think sometimes when people employ another person, it shows that they've got, uh, they're aspirational about the future, that they think that their business will support an additional person, that the cost of employing somebody is not so high as to make it prohibitive. I don't mean just the financial cost, but the regulatory cost as well. Um, I think um, all those decisions need to be factored in. We do want to encourage all small businesses to employ people. But then there are many people who are operating a small business, which effectively is just they themselves selling their labour and selling their skills in the context of a corporate structure. And that's fine too. They, they, they might not want to employ... I mean, if you're a a music teacher who's operating a music teaching business, you you don't necessarily want to employ four or five other music teachers. That might not be your aspiration. We want to try and make it easier for those people who are aspiring to expand to expand. That has to be the goal. So perhaps better education as well to see if that's what one of the, the, the speed humps is that people are just not looking to employ because they just don't know how. Reducing regulation, reducing tax um, and providing people better support if they want to expand. They're the three things that we need to do more of. The fact that you mentioned regulation just, just segues nicely into my next question, which um, which I'm really keen to ask you about, which is the burden of regulation, which is around determining whether someone is an employee or a contractor. So this is something I come about with, with my business quite a lot with as a bookkeeper. We deal with this sort of regulation quite a bit. What I find that businesses are feeding back to me, both in small biz matters and also in, in my profession, is that they want to do the right thing. They, they want to be able to go to a one-stop shop survey, just tell me what it is, spit me an answer out at the end that tells me if I treat this person as an employee or a contractor. And listeners may not be aware that there's actually five pieces of legislation, both at the state and the federal level, that determine uh, whether or not how you treat these people. And it's difficult to do the right thing. So there is an ATO employee versus contractor tool, which is excellent. And that helps people understand what it's relating to when it comes to tax and super. But that doesn't mean you're meeting all the requirements of employment law and it definitely doesn't mean you're meeting all the requirements of workers' comp and, 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 and that law. So what can we do to at least make it a very clear answer to that question? This person I want to work with, should they be an employee or a contractor? Well, the threshold question about whether somebody's an employee or a contractor is, is fundamentally an employment question and for that it's the Fair Work Ombudsman and I'd encourage any of your listeners are thinking of taking on a person and looking at whether they should be an employee or a contractor and are uncertain, the Fair Work Ombudsman is the first stop. And is that because they're the overarching? They are. The, the, the federal legislation that, in covers, that, that covers employment in this country, which covers most of the employment that goes in, in, in this country, um, is governed by the Fair Work Act. That's administered by the Fair Work Ombudsman. The Fair Work Ombudsman is there to help that should be the place that people go to start and answer those questions. As to broader um, mismatched regulation between the Commonwealth and the states, look, we should definitely be doing more. Um, Since we've come to government, we have reduced um, regulation by the order of $6 billion worth of regulation. That's quite significant. Um, I, I think we can continue to press forward. I know there's different definitions of small businesses in different acts and so on. Yeah, that's that has crazy. To be, that has to be a priority to clean, yeah. to clean some of that up as well. I, I feel that in my profession and talking to small business, it's not getting easier. The burden, if anything, is getting more difficult. Uh, we talked in the break a little bit about payslips and now that the actual necessity, you must split out allowances, 
and loading onto your payslip. It's not sufficient to just put someone as a casual and that you are paying them X and that X is more than you should be paying them legally, but you now need to split that out as well. Mm. Um, I think that I think that in good in doing the right thing, regulate or decision makers, the, the parliamentarians are trying to do the right thing, but by the time it trickles down and spits out at the other end, small business has this huge pile of paperwork to deal with. Um, is there going to be a better system of meeting that disconnect between what the reality is and what the what the legislation is? Well, I think this is one of the advantages, going back to your first question, having the small business minister in cabinet, because um, hopefully there'll be a, an advocate um, for further red tape reduction uh, in Cabinet in relation to some of these... Well, these Julian, I would love it if you could take to her I will this very personal I will say, question. I will say to her, Makati, you, you need to come on Small Business Matters that would be and have a chat with Alexi. I would love to talk to her about that because I have lots of pieces of regulation that I could that I think are, are, are difficult. Uh, if, In fact, if I could just notate one that's very recent, the, the recent changes to GST um, and the fact that businesses can now supply their ABN to an overseas supplier and therefore not be charged GST. The problem is, is that we as BAS agents and bookkeepers, we don't know when people have done that. Mm. And we're still not getting tax compliant invoices from these overseas suppliers. So in actual fact, it's made it more difficult because we can't just blanket approach. What would have been great? What would have been great if, if regulators had just said, I'll tell you what, everything that comes from overseas you can claim the GST on. We will go and get back the GST from those overseas suppliers. But now we've got Australian registration numbers, we've got ABNs, we've got different suppliers doing different things. We've got Amazon saying, no, nah, we're not doing it. We're not even selling to Australia anymore. We've got eBay going, no, we'll do the right thing. It, it's now become a cumbersome thing. A good example of where the legislators were trying to do the right thing and it's trickled down to a complete mess. No. Well, um, I will be happy to have a chat with the Small Business Minister about some of these issues and even see if I can get her to come on the program uh, maybe early next year. That would be great. I'd strongly suggest that she, she has a good chat to Matthew Addison, which I'm sure she is already speaking to quite a lot, who is our, our head of our professional body, the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. On that note, I'm going to get down off my soapbox now and uh, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Business Matters. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Julian about the um, uh, talking about politicians and how we can look at bringing more small business into politics. You're listening to Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to Small Biz Matters. Thank you for joining us here in the studio, Julie and Lisa. We are talking all things small business and the federal government and how it supports us. Just before the break, if you missed any of today's show, you can catch up, of course, on iTunes and on the smallbizmatters.com.au website. We were talking a little bit about the determination and regulations and how things trickle down to small business on a, on a reality level and, and maybe how the legislators need to be a little bit more in touch with that. But let's talk about politics. Let's talk about the Liberal Party, probably one of your favourite subjects. Uh, let's talk about how we can get more small business people into politics. Um, you mentioned Craig Lundy at the beginning yep. of the show, fantastic small business person, a great voice for small business when he was. Um, our current small business minister, Michaela Cash, any experience with running a business at all? Well, so she, she was a partner at Freehills, um, which is not a small business, it's quite a significant business uh, a, as a law firm. But I don't, I don't know, she may have had um, uh, other experience running a small business. I think about the people that I sit around in the parliament. So next to me is a, a fellow who used to run a, a, he was a building contractor, then he became a barrister. Next to him is a woman who's run a, a dairy farm. 
On the, on the left of me is uh, Warren Inch, who is a crocodile farmer, um, running his own business there. In front of me sits Ted O'Brien, who ran a small business exporting um, professional services to China. Next to him is Trevor Evans, who ran um, one of the small business lobby groups. So plenty of people who are either engaged in small business or small business policy there. How do they balance their small business with being a politician? Well, many of them actually give up their small business when they go into politics. And I think of elected in the same group as me um, uh, in the class of 2016. We call it the class of, based on the year that you're elected. Oh, that's you. Um, I didn't know So uh, Jason Felinski, who's the member for McKellar, he he ran, I think he may still run, um, a a business providing beds for aged care homes. So there's quite a lot of people on our side of politics that have a small business background. And that's because a lot of our party members fundamentally are small business people. Um, they've grown up in small businesses. They run small businesses. Um, I hear lots about, you know, um, why aren't you doing this for small business or that for small business at our at our party meetings? And uh, all I can say is the best way to encourage more people engaged in small business to get into the parliament is for more people to join uh, a political party uh, like my party, the Liberal Party, that backs small business and that considers small business to be very important to our economy. Fundamentally, um, and I'll use the Prime Minister's words here, if you have a go, you get a go. We're, our purpose of, of being in politics is to try and make it easier for the person who's giving, who's got off their own um, backside and had a go and, and risked risk their house, risk their family's livelihood, to try and build something to put food on the table. That's effectively us backing small businesses every day. I would suggest you probably need to lift the profile of those uh, small business owners in, in Parliament if uh, perhaps even bring them onto, onto Cabinet and Ministerial positions because it does feel a disconnect between... This is one of the questions that I've had from someone on LinkedIn. Why is it that people have to give up their business? Because, well, I, I guess being a politician is, is hard. It's, it's not easy. And well, and, and you, get, you run the risk of conflict too. That's the other thing. I mean, you have to make decisions on all sorts of matters and the last thing you want to be doing is put yourself in a position where, you know, a decision might be made that you might be voting on that conflicts with your <clears> business in some way. Child care, for instance. So let's talk oh. about... Um, Let's talk about uh, state and Commonwealth governments um, investing in... Oh, let's talk about education. So education, well, I think it's a bit muddy in the waters whether or not it's a federal or state issue because federal funding often goes towards education. But one of the questions that one of our listeners has asked is that um, there's a lot of heavy investment going into funding, into diploma level level qualifications, um, but the take-up is quite low and completions are non-completions is high. A common reason is because uh, small business owners don't have time or resources to attend classes, um, they can't complete assessments and they feel uh, it's it's more value to them to have the hands-on approach of advisory and soft skills rather than understanding how to really run their business properly. So there are. this has come from a, a business coach and, and business advisors. Will the government consider providing an additional funding for hands-on business coaching, I guess like teaching where you have to have a practical part of, of your degree um, and advisory to small business. So I want to um, alert your listeners to the Small Business Entrepreneurs Program, which is providing um, people with the opportunity to do a, a, a series of programs of the sort that you're talking about um, that have some government funding involved. And they can find out more about them at business.gov.au slash assistance entrepreneurs hyphen program. And the purpose of these programs 
is to try, particularly for people who are looking to build their business and to expand them in key areas. And some of those key areas um, are things that... Um, no, it actually surprises me that the breadth of businesses involved. And I, I had a bit of a look at this before I came in. Mm. So if you're involved in food and agribusiness, and we have quite a few people involved in the in those businesses in, in this area, in advanced manufacturing, in medical technologies and pharmaceuticals, again, it would surprise you we do have people involved in those areas, in mining equipment, in technology and services. I suspect we have fewer people in the oil, gas and energy resources industry. But if you're in any of those spaces, um, there's access to this entrepreneurship program because... The government has identified those as areas that we want to try and grow the economy. I know that won't apply to all small businesses, but they're the ones that I think we want, want to particularly uh, invest in. They're things that we think um, our companies and our businesses have a particular competitive advantage in, in relation to other countries, and um, we want to see some of those businesses expand. So how do you make that decision? Because that's quite interesting that you've, I, I won't say chosen, you've made obviously some determinations. The chosen, Yes, it? yes, not you personally. But how is it that you make I'd the decisions? I'd be bookkeepers, of, of course. course least, of course. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make that determination where you place one uh, industry over another for this sort of funding? Because that that can be quite a fundamental question. You think to yourself, I want to access some funding. Oh, I can't. I'm not involved in blah industry. Well, you, you look at what are the country's strengths, what are our competitive advantages, what are the growth opportunities. Uh, you look at a range of information from Treasury and finance um, about where, the economy, where they think the economy is going, where the opportunities are, where our export opportunities are. And I think you have to try and invest in areas where you think that there are some possibilities for growth. But none of those things would surprise people because they're often things that we've been very good at. I mean, we are one of the leading, the world's leading food and agribusiness manufacturers are one of the, the, the best countries in terms of resource extraction in the world. So it's unsurprising to find those there. But it's interesting when we think about manufacturing in this country, um, we're not going to produce cars anymore, but we're quite good at things like advanced manufacturing, cochlear being the most mm. famous example. But we make lots of component parts, and the future of manufacturing is in component parts and uh, um, you know highly skilled things that need sort of higher order skills in relation to uh, in relation to production. Does this mean that we can see uh, almost a, a, a rebirth of the manufacturing industry in Australia through what you described as being medical or, or pharmaceutical? Uh, in a different way. Um, you know, I, I think there are people who are out there who are making amazing things. So, again, just thinking about um, a business I've seen in our constituency, Washbox, uh, an incredible invention um, for people who are on construction sites wanting to wash their paintbrushes. So rather that you're not supposed to wash your paintbrushes into uh, into the stream no, and pay massive, uh, massive fines for that. Yep. Basically, there's a box that comes along. You, you kind of clean your paintbrush in this box. It recycles the water through the box and you have this small amount of residue that's left at the end of the, the period. And it's terrific. This is an Australian invention in our own community being used now on building sites all over the country uh, and hopefully uh, more around the world. So that's an example of advanced manufacturing. We're not producing cars. Yeah. We're not producing, you know, um, prefabricated houses, but we are producing something that there's a niche for. It's about finding those clever niches. You know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Thinking about, well, where's there an opportunity? What do we really need? How can I be a bit... A bit um, creative and putting it together and what's my business case and so that's when we've thought about as a government um, areas that we want to see prioritised we want to see more people into business or, or more people in those areas expand it's those key areas where we think you know there's a future market there's a future employment growth there there's a future opportunity for our country 
Is it a is it a political decision? Is it something that uh, groups, particular groups, lobby for um, outside of politics, and they would liberal, you know, lobby the Liberal government at the time, or is it really based uh, on data? I, I think well, some of it will be based on data, and some of it will be made based on business judgment. I think governments will look and think, well, what are the opportunities for for our country? Where are our strengths? What are we good at doing that other places are less good at doing? What's Brand Australia all about? Where are the opportunities? What's what are the businesses of the future going to be and to make some assessments? Of course, you know, there are people who will come in and, you know, make cases from time to time about the importance of these areas, but it's I don't think any of those areas people go, that's a very strange area or why isn't such and such there? On yeah, that because list? let's face it, small business as a whole is not a particularly strong lobby group. Well, small, small business um, covers a wide variety of areas of the economy. I mean, there'd be small businesses in every single one of those uh, in industries that I mentioned. Um, sometimes when I think people think of small business, we think of the corner store or we think of the person operating a business from their home in a professional services capacity. And they are all small businesses and they're good businesses. But equally, a, a small business can be something that's operating in a business park in our area, like at, uh, at Mount Coringa, at the business park up there or at Thornley. Um, and they can be producing small components for a much broader thing. I mean, uh, I look at, uh, just to take an example of one business of, of, of uh, the tip-top tray business up at uh, at Mount Coringa, and that's an extraordinary business. And, you know, um, since I've uh, become aware of it being in our area, I can't stop noticing the tip-top trays on the back of utes all around, uh, all around Sydney. And they service around. all around Sydney, exactly. They do, yeah. they do. And, and, and they've built a very successful business. Now, that's not, a, that's not BHP, um, but it's not some person operating out of their spare bedroom either. And we have a lot of businesses, small and medium businesses, um, which are really important to our economy. Well, look, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show today, um, Julie. I know you're very busy with, um, you know, splitting your time between between Canberra and here. And congratulations again for becoming a father. It's so exciting. That's the best... Uh, That's the best small business you can indeed, have. Indeed, just so. <laughs> I, I hope it pays dividends in the long run. <laughs> and, and, and I will be holding you to account for that, that possibility of bringing um, Michaelia Cash on the show. We, we'd love to have her on the program and really talk about grassroots issues and um, and the way that the, the federal government decisions do trickle down to small business. So thank you very much for coming on Small Thanks, Business. Thanks, Always a pleasure. And you'll be welcoming us next week with another fantastic guest here on Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this.